For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome in the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reason Sports Network, also on the Nothing But Net channel that is on Dash Radio. And so you can hear us on there every day from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. That's Monday through Friday or 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific. That's one of the reasons our episodes have been going a little bit longer of late. So I hope you're enjoying the extra content. I'm not sure my voice is. Anyway, check out fivereasonsports.com. That's fivereasonsports.com for all of our latest content, including grades from Martin Bater of the latest inner Miami loss. They've now lost their, their first four matches. He graded every player from one to 10. Some of those grades, not so great on there. Also the, all the other podcasts in our network, three yards per carry five rings, canes, balls, cast, light skin, opinions, shulable podcast, and more also our merchandise. We've got a sale on there for the entire rest of the month. It's for the code is July heat, July heat, and you get 10% off all the merch on the site. The good thing is, Printful, which is our distributor, they're moving a little faster these days than they have been uh, typically during COVID. So you, if you want those shirts before the heat season starts, I would recommend you order them in the next couple of days. So use the code JULYHEAT and you'll get 10% off whether you order one shirt, two shirts, three shirts, or thankfully for us, 20 shirts. Also, check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network including one of our new sponsors. It's maybe, you know, our favorite sponsor because their beer, Biscayne Bay Brewing, the official craft beer of Inter-Miami and the Miami Marlins, which is South Florida's actual independent brewery. Biscayne Bay is owned by local guys who employ people in this community, our South Florida community, to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community and support Five Reasons Sports. So we can keep bringing you all of this local sports content probably more than you can handle right now, more than I can handle. If you care about supporting local businesses and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff. Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, Tropical Bay IPA. Again, that's Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, and Tropical Bay IPA at all major retailers throughout South Florida. We've got people scrambling to the stores. It's not just toilet paper. You need beer. It is the beer that we're going to be drinking at Five Reasons Sports, and whenever we can do it again, we will be doing watch parties with Biscayne Bay Brewing. So check them out. The Twitter handle is at Biscayne Bay Brew. And now, today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Today's floor plan, no Alphonse Sydney. I believe he's moving. I think he's staying in South Florida. Uh, Alf 954 remaining. Closer to you, right? I think he's going closer to me. Well, I mean, closer to where, well, he was closer to where I used to live. I'm not really sure where he's going now. Um, I feel like he moves every couple of weeks uh, whenever the internet gets bad. But Alf will be joining us at some point. I think he's going to, maybe not in this episode, but he's going to be on Floors Yours, uh, which will be on our YouTube channel on Thursday night. I didn't mention the YouTube channel. Got a bunch of new clips that have gone up there um, from Eric Spolster, Tyler Hero. We're going to get into some of those. Um, I do have Alex Toledo. You've already heard his voice at Tropical Blanket. I've got Greg Sylvander at Greg Sylvander. Um, we made that easy. Um, and also... Uh, we want to thank Manny Chang for producing uh, last night's episode, and you can uh, catch some of his work on the Five on the Floor Twitter account. All right, guys, um, the floor plan tonight. We're going to start in Section 1 with a Miami Heat expectations topic. Uh, in Section 2, we're going to get into some of the topics of the day, uh, which were Eric Spolstra speaking, Tyler Hero speaking, a uh, little look back at something related to Shaq, and then also um, the Dwayne Wade controversy, which – probably is not going to be over with, even though I think he'd like it to be um, by the time that you hear this episode. So let's start here. Um, Heat fans don't like ESPN, right? Is that fair to say, typically? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, there's no heat index anymore, so we definitely don't like ESPN now. 
Well, I don't think people, I don't think Heat fans liked ESPN during the Heat Index, which maybe wasn't totally fair to the four guys involved because all were highly competent in their own ways. And one but it wasn't them, really at, at, at them, though, right? It was mostly no, the people who were antagonizing the Heat and calling the big three soft and all those, you know, supercharged comments. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, again, one of the four guys, Mike Wallace, I mean, was covering the Heat for a few years down here you know, before he was tabbed to continue covering him during the big three, they sent Windhorse down here. He fans. I mean, I'm friends with Brian. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But, but, but definitely Heat, had some flack here. Yeah. Heat fans didn't love Brian. Um, you know, Arnovitz, I don't think they had an issue with and, and Haberstroh, they certainly didn't have an issue with. I think, I think most Heat fans like Tom. And now those but, are like some of the best in the, in the business. All, all yeah. of those guys. Well, what they did, which was interesting, I, I've always talked about, I think ESPN did it by accident. But if you look at those four guys, when I started to cover the, um, the Heat again in 2010, when I went back to the Palm Beach Post to cover them as a columnist, uh, when the big three arrived, I, I sort of realized what ESPN was doing and it made me realize how I had to cover the beat. Because if you look at those four guys, they kind of encapsulated the four things you need to do on an NBA beat now which is they had the personnel guy, which was Windhorst. People looked at him as the LeBron guy. That really wasn't true. He was really more of the personnel guy, the guy who's, you know, was talking to the agents and all that sort of stuff. Then they had the personality guy who was Wallace, who was kind of personalizing the players. Then they had Haberstroh, who was kind of the new addition in terms of being the stat guy. There hadn't been a lot of those covering NBA teams for local papers anyway. And then Arnovitz was the strategy guy. So they had the personnel, the personality, the strategy, and the stats covered with those four. And that made me realize I had to do all that by myself uh, with the Palm Beach Post. Uh, so, so that wasn't... It wasn't, I wouldn't say fun. It was, it was kind of, I've always looked at it as kind of my real master's project um, because, because of the way you had to cover it. But anyway, enough about me and enough about that. Uh, let's get to ESPN and why Heat fans didn't like them. It was more so because of the others, right? Because at the time, everybody who was on Fox now or was on ESPN, right? So you had Bayless, Coward, um, you know, the, the parade of parade of idiots. Right. Okay. The parade of idiots. Um, what do they call the parade of gas bags? That's what, yep. uh, what Dan mm. called. And it's such a perfect name for them. Yeah. And, and Dan is a gas bag in his own way, but he's like our lovable gas bag. And so, you know, he was kind of fighting all of them. And then of course Simmons, right. Who at the time was also ESPN. I think he, he probably, he left for the ringer when probably in the middle, right. Of the big three or something along those lines. He was still with ESPN. I think, uh, during he was, the Heat Celtics series, yeah, he was. I think he left ESPN pretty late during the, the Big Three run. I mean, I know him he and Dwayne like were covering the finals, the Warriors finals, Warriors Cavs. I remember Dwayne was That's in right. Golden State, um, and Bill Simmons was sitting in on that, so he was still there at that time. So I think it's not so so far removed, right? So okay, so basically, nobody in in Miami liked ESPN at all, and so whenever something comes from ESPN that doesn't give the Heat proper credit, Heat fans get immediately antagonized by it. Um, so this thing came out today. I believe it was today. Uh, yep. But it's, it's, not, it's not really opinion. It's really statistical. So, so could one of you please explain what this is? I will do my best here. So um, ESPN has champion projections via RPM. Uh, I am not going to articulate what RPM is. I can either leave that to Alex or we'll get an assist from Nikias or something like that. But uh, so it's based on RPM. Um, Milwaukee leads with a 42% chance to win the championship, followed by the Lakers at 18%, Toronto at 12%, the Clippers at 10%. I will not go down the entire laundry list, but unfortunately at the very bottom, OKC, Dallas, and New Orleans all have a 1% chance of winning. And Miami was not listed at all. So they're with the likes of Portland, Washington, Sacramento, Philadelphia, and Utah. Um, so that, that definitely. I think Denver was in there too. In that same correct. You're category. right. Denver and Indiana. You're right. You're right. That's um, pretty so, telling. But I had the explanation here uh, just from Google. Real plus minus is the player's average impact in terms of net point differential per 100 defensive and offensive possessions. So basically it's one of those kind of catch all stats and just like with any other stat like this I think the point is to kind of use them in the right context and putting them next to other stats and judging players and teams off of multiple different things right but I think 
that's just kind of something that they're doing to to get some conversation going. It's just you know part of the the machine. But I think it is interesting as a as a list just because it kind of tells you the teams that during the regular season were the most efficient on on both ends of the floor. So I think there's something to it, but it's definitely not you know like, uh, end all be all. It sounds like a stat Alf would make fun of if he was on this episode right yes. now. No doubt, no doubt, hundred <laughs> percent. Yes, no, he, yeah, he he would call it all kinds of different names. Um, I, I guess what surprises me, well, obviously New Orleans getting, you know, any mention here at all is surprising. Um, and so again, Heat fans, you know, there's a there's a feeling here that you know the ESPN want Zion to to you know proceed, but. I, again, this is statistical. So this is supposed to be unbiased. It doesn't have to do with, with anybody, uh, anybody's opinion necessarily. ESPN changed the stats. Right. Well, that's what they'll say. (laughs) That's what they'll say. But I think it is a launch point for us tonight because I think what we can look at is in the context of, I, I think all of us feel good about the heat's chances, not to win a championship, but they're just chances of success. And, and I'm not going to go through the laundry list of reasons, Again, we've done this on pretty much every episode for the past month. And I think that a lot of this stuff has played out. And I think Eric Spolster has given voice to a lot of what we've talked about here uh, on Five on the Floor. Um, so, again, not going to do it, but it comes down to leadership, their mix of talent, um, you know, being hungry, the quote-unquote I'll do it culture, uh, Spolstra. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we feel they're, they're well positioned. Uh, again, once Bam and none are back in the fold. But I do want to put this in the overall context of the Heat's history. And if you look back to the start of the season and what the expectations were, and now you look at where this thing could go after everything that's happened, if the Heat made a run, I'm not even saying to the finals. I'm not saying winning a championship. I'm saying that this Heat season ends in the Eastern Conference Finals. Leif, where does that fit? in heat history in terms of surprises what what other seasons would would align with it um okay so the low hanging fruit is 0304 i think we can all just isolate that one is probably the most surprising season that we've ever had um and then it gets dicey because there's elements of the 06 title that is that were super surprising that I don't think anybody could have necessarily predicted when you saw how that team looked. But if we talk about the expectations prior to the season beginning, that was a championship team in that regard. Um, then you think also about the 30 and 11 run, like that was probably one of the most improbable, um, surprising you know, moments in heat history, but it didn't end in a playoff berth. So then it's hard for me to know if, if that can even really be a relevant, you know, part of this conversation. So I would say 0304 and, and another team that I think uh, the more that I've thought about this is the, the, the team that took Toronto to game seven with justice Winslow at center. I think that that, that was a surprising run, uh, you know, considering the way Dwayne played against Charlotte and, uh, and some of those heroics. Playing without so, Bosch. Correct. Without Bosch and, and, and without Whiteside by the end of it, you know, to, to end up making that run to game seven. Um, th- those were that probably first round was leaders. gritty. That first round was gritty with Charlotte too. Yeah. yeah I think it, you got a point there. Yeah, it, no, it was. Um, if you look back at that Charlotte team, it's kind of remarkable that they were pushed as much as they were because that, that team was trash, uh, the exception of Kemba. I mean, point of attack defense, man. It's been I, a problem I, since I, un- then. I understand. I love, I love Goron, but. <laughs> no, but, but he only shot 38% in that series, I believe. I mean, I'm talking about Kemba. Yeah. So, and, and it required, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, columns that I got to write because it not uh, people forget it wasn't just Dwayne and Purple Shirt Guy. But it was also Haslam with Dwayne at the end of that game, which was a lot of fun, um, considering, again, kind of where, UD, where UD's stock was at that stage as a player. Um, all right, so let's go through some of these. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on 0304 because I think what people forget about that team was there were – not only do they start 0-7, and, and by the way, oh, we're having Stan Van Gundy on five on the floor next week, by the way. Um, and I, if Alf actually makes that one, there's not going to be any basketball talk. So we're gonna, have, I'm gonna have to figure that out because what a great but, episode! I can't. Don't <laughs> worry. What do you think my questions are going to be about? Well, I know it's, and I know everybody. You know, I know there's political alignment here, um, and I get it. But well, it, I, 
I wasn't really going to do that part. You know, I just wanted to stick to the basketball part. But Well, you, you sure. will get into more basketball than him. He's not talking any <laughs> basketball. He, he, he's literally going to talk about AOC with her, with, with Stan. I mean, that's, that's where this is headed. Um, I mean, there's no question. But, but getting back to it, I mean, I think uh, with Stan, if, if you look at that season, not only you know, did they start 0-7, there were columns written the first couple weeks of the 0-3-0-4 season that this could be one of the worst teams in NBA history. I'm oh not locally. Gosh. Yes. No, I remember it. They started 0-7, I think, if I, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. I remember that team came and played a preseason game on, in Estero, Florida, and it was hilarious to see um, them kind of be able to just walk around. No one knew who any of the players were on the team. It was a, that season had no expectations. None at all. Um, and, and I think even with Dwayne there, you know, you had, uh, you know, you looked at, okay, so you had Dwayne and you had Eddie, uh, but, you know, you didn't know what you were really getting with Lamar completely. Remember, Lamar was not their first choice. Elton Brand was, even though it was a little bit of a rope-a-dope that Pat pulled on Donald Sterling. And, and, and then you had Karan coming off a good rookie season, but that, that team the previous year was awful. So there really were no expectations, and they were thin. Um, and so, you know, and, and I remember being in Philadelphia for the opener with Iverson against Dwayne. And Stan looked completely overmatched. He just looked he, – I mean, he was fried, like, before the game started and more fried after it ended. I think 0304 is is a good one. I mean, to finish 42-40, and 40, take that Indiana team to six games in the second round after a compelling first-round series is one of them. I, I don't know if I'm going to give you guys 15-16. I, I covered that one home and road, too. I understand with Bosch getting sick, but before that year started – a lot of expectations, right? You're there right. were expectations for See, that. See, I'm moving the goalposts a lot. I realize that. <laughs> well, but that team was only, I believe, four games over 500 at the All-Star break when Chris got, you know, was diagnosed again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was underachieving for that team. I mean, that, that team took off. Their offense Chris was, out. was ugly. It was bad. It, it could well, get ugly. The Bosch Whiteside thing, Alex, did not fit um, at all, and then and they did not play there. well together. It, it was only when Deng cle- when Bosch cleared out, Deng went to the four that yeah, that team took, took off. off. They yeah. took off. So I I don't know if I'm going to give you that one. I think, um, I, you know, it's really I difficult. Think the without Bosch team was a surprise in itself, but yeah, I think overall you're probably right. I think if you okay, so let's look at the Zo Timmy teams, Greg, and then we'll we'll get into some of the more modern teams. Um, I don't really feel like any of them, at least we're regular season-wise, were a surprise, right? Because they I spent mean, all that money with Zoe. Even though right. we're not getting Juwan, it was, there was an expectation that team was going to be pretty good. That what about that when they won 61? No, that's the season we're talking about, 96-97. Um, yeah. I they, no, I, I think Ethan's right. The, there was still an expectation that that team was going to take a leap. We didn't know how big of a leap, and I didn't know it was 61 wins and road warriors and all that. But you know another season that kind of creeps up is when Zoe got sick, and that team – 2000, kind of, 2001. Know, correct. And they, I think yeah. they won 50 games, 50 and 32. Like that That was a year that I don't think people expected them to still be a, a – No, they like did that, not. They that did was a not. year I was screaming, Riley can coach anyone to 50 wins, and then I was – um, the next season completely proven wrong of that. So, <laughs> so that was another surprising no, year. But he, he couldn't coach Travis Best and Cedric Sabalos to 50 wins. But, but that team, um, it did go through a pretty big transformation in the sense that the expectations were enormous after the trades were made. And that lineup that you were supposed to have with Zoe and Brian Grant at the four, and you had, you had Bowen and you had uh, Mace and Timmy and Eddie like that, you, that core six um, looked like it can match up with anybody in the entire league. But then when Zoe went out and you look at what they had to do, Brian Grant un, undersized at the five uh, Mace, you know, basically, you know, playing secondary ball handler and behaving for most of that year uh, until the very end. I mean, they really, they exceeded expect, expectations because Timmy was not really healthy and they still, uh, you know, we're successful. I think that one you can kind of talk about, but that's the only one I think from those Zoe years. Oh four, oh five, Shaq came. You can't count it. Oh five, oh six, you knew what was coming. The oh eight, oh nine, oh nine, ten teams. 
0809 was a bit of a surprise, I think, because you're coming off 15 wins. I mean, does that one count? I mean, they they did they did get to the playoffs. I know they lost. They, Wait, they, they got like plus 30 is, that year in wins. Wait a minute. Right. This is the this is the obvious leader in the clubhouse. It's the 15 win team. That's the biggest, biggest surprise. surprise? Well, we're not history. going that direction. <laughs> we're not going that direction. I had, sorry, I had to do it. No, but Greg, that that was a surprise to them. I mean, they they did not go into that year with a plan to tank, they thought that team maybe had like a few last breaths in it. And then, you know, it started to crater quickly and then, okay, about halfway through the season folded up. Well, Ricky Davis. Yeah. There's actually a story on our site from Martin about, uh, about Ricky Davis and and what happened to Ricky Davis. And, uh, you know, Ricky Davis was in the big three. We actually did a, a, an interview with him for, for the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, obviously, like, Asib Powell and Blake Ahern and everybody else. I mean, you can't even re- – I, I wonder if UD can even remember most of those guys. I mean, UD's played with, like, almost 200 players on the Heat. But I, I, I wonder, you know, is there a longstanding relationship with Kasib Powell? I'm not sure. Um, they play – those guys played hard. But, yeah, that was that was obviously the negative. But I think 08, 09 was – yeah, was a surprise. Um, I don't think it was a surprise that Dwayne could be great. But there were some questions about how he's going to come back from the injury, what was really going on with him. And, you know, there were the commercials about him and, and everything else. And, you know, obviously the Redeem team, you, you saw what, what could happen with him. But if you look at that roster, you had two rookies playing heavy minutes, not just playing heavy minutes, but a second-round pick in Mario Chalmers who started all 82. Um, so I think 08-09 qualifies. Yeah. It gets uh, in the conversation, but not 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 above this Eastern. If this team goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that we've definitely um, just by breaking this down created a pecking order where it's pretty clear that this would be um, a pretty big surprise. Because going in, expectations were what nationally um, maybe like a six seed. Is do you think that that would maybe be the consensus somewhere around there locally? Six, maybe seven. four seed. There was a lot of. I had him uh, at three. There was a lot of not, not – there was some buzz about them as a three-seed, like Zach Lowe, and there was a few others. Some people liked them. But there was a lot of buzz about the Heat being in the same, you know, kind of situation as the Magic or the Pistons. And I took offense that I'm never going to forget that because I thought that was flagrant and just completely offensive. Look, as somebody who's completely not biased. By the way, do I not exist? Like I, 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 I had the three seed thing before Zach. Yeah, you were out front on that. No, that's I meant from the national. Oh, from the Nash. That's right. I'm not national anymore. I forgot. Subtle <laughs> uh, right. shot. I, no, I, I, I mean by Miami for Miami. No, that's I mean, right. Yeah, I don't think you're right. Exactly. I don't. I don't know if I count anymore. Um, but yeah, I had him as a three, and and I, I thought they'd be good because what I kept saying was if you gave Spolster an uncluttered roster then I thought there were real things. And I, and I kept being told even just, and people inside the organization were very, very bullish on BAM, obviously, but I kept being told just addition by subtraction, Whiteside out of the room is worth five to seven wins. That's what I, that's what I was told pretty much across the board. It was almost like a talking point. And, uh, and that proved true. In fact, probably was, <coughs> excuse me, probably worth more than that. Um, the one other season though, Alex, I will throw at you is sixteen seventeen. They didn't make the playoffs, oh, yeah. um, but they did go 30 and 11. <laughs> but you see, that's another season where just like other heat seasons, they, they're just better in the second half. And just like we were talking about with, uh, what was it? 15, 16, they were better in the second half, but this one was just even more, obviously a more extreme example of that because they were obviously 11 and 30 in the first half of the season. And then the second half, they, they were, they had one of the best like point differential in the league. Obviously, we you know they went thirty and eleven. Dion was the absolute, and so was James Johnson. Both of them were the absolute best versions of themselves. And I think seeing those versions is why some of us were just kind of hesitant on calling those deals questionable at the fa- at the time because we saw what they could be when they were healthy and focused. Yeah, and I just think the whole thing was really surprising and kind of magical. <laughs> JJ had so much culture during that run, but you know, like something about that season that sticks to me in terms of expectations is we went into that season with um, basically everybody on one year deals. um, And we, so we didn't really have any expectations. It was kind of like you thought it it could be bleak and then it got off to a really bad start. And those expectations became confirmation. 
And then it completely flipped on its ear and went in a whole different direction. So in terms of like the highs and lows, if you're talking about a roller coaster kind of season, that has to be on the list, even though it's not a playoff team, yeah. playoff team, you know what I mean? So um, that, that has to be it. So let's look at this nationally then. If we were to say that getting to the Eastern Conference Finals locally, that we might look at it as heat observers, as one of the top three, maybe even the top uh, surprise in heat history. How shocked will your talking heads in Bristol or more of them are in Los Angeles these days be if the heat makes a run to the Eastern conference finals, particularly if that run goes through Milwaukee, because I mean, again, I mean, this is why I say this is not an ESPN production, this particular prediction because they would have the Lakers first. Uh, but you know this is this this is more about the the raw numbers. Say Milwaukee has not just been the best team in the league this year and last year, but like historically, uh, ahead five point differential of all time. Right, oh my gosh. number five. If Bam right. can lock him up, lock Giannis up, and the Bucks get stifled, O'Reilly's going to oh be picking his chops, God. folks. Yeah, how about that? We haven't even discussed that in, in a crazy scenario, or maybe not so crazy, where the Heat upset the Bucks in a, in a series. They beat them four out of seven times, and that happens. Does that make Giannis more or less likely to want to come? We, we don't. Do we know that about him? I I, I need to do fifty four minutes on that one. We're not going to get into that one on this. <laughs> so right. save that for another time. We'll, I am we'll available that. for that conversation. We'll, we'll okay. save that for another time because there's there's a little bit of a KD element to that. But I I, I think I don't think anybody nationally. And there are some people. Stephen A. has said it. There there are a couple. Um, who've come in? I, there was someone else. Um, was it ESPN or another platform? A national person who said, "Don't sleep on the Heat." Um, I, I think there is some respect for what Miami's some respect for yeah. what Miami's doing. Um, but but I I do think that they would be they would be pretty stunned. I, I still feel like there's a pretty big segment of the you know sort of non NBA educated national sports media that still doesn't know what the hell Bam Adebayo does for the Heat. Like yeah. still, still don't. Like get this guy it. is basically Clint Capella. Like, oh, there we go. Right. You, you told you, you told in yourself. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you know what'll happen is a lot of national guys are just act like that's what they've been saying all season, and they'll they'll just start oh, yeah. saying the, the buzzwords with Jimmy Butler and culture and Pat Riley <laughs> and Eric Spolstra. And I mean, I know that I love to talk about all that stuff, but I'm consistent, man. I do that all the time. These guys will act like that. That's what they've been saying the entire time. Um. So so inevitably, that's what we would see from some people, but. The, the the other part of it and what adds credence to the heat is that a lot of smart people have been saying that the heat are doing a lot of good things. Um, so, so that obviously people will piggyback off that as well. Yeah. I think that there is, you know, regard for the heat organization as a whole, but I, I do think that the national media perception of the heat is a, that Eric Spolster won championships because of LeBron uh, B that Pat Riley's best days were in LA um, and that all he's really done since is throw some rings on the table in 2010. Uh, well, I don't think that's, that part is unfair. They were pretty exceptional. I'm, well, getting, upset. They pretty I'm getting upset at Ethan just saying these things no, out no, loud. No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm saying to you, this, this is part of, and, and I think there's also perception that Jimmy's, Jimmy's not a number one guy um, and, and can't lead your organization. Also fair. Uh, right. And I think there's also a perception that Bam is, like you said, is Clint Capella. Uh, Tyler Hero is, uh, is what? He's uh, Nick, Sk- Nick Stauskas uh, with, with a different haircut. No, they think uh, he's, he's J.J. Redick. J.J. And Redick. Not, and not that we have know. bigger J.J. Redick and Duncan Robinson. Oh, and Duncan Robinson is, is uh, the combination of two Spurs names. I mean, I, I don't really think that the, I don't really think that the national media, I, I don't, you know, I, a lot of my national media, um, and again, my former national media peers uh, that I still communicate with a lot, they, they tend to ask me a lot of questions about the Heat, uh, which I appreciate because they're actually educated basketball writers and they're trying to learn more. And so they do ask me a lot of questions. They're kind of like, so Harrow has more than a jumper, right? Or, you know, it's like, so Jimmy's been, like, unselfish, right? Bam runs offense? You know, like, that, like I get those kind of questions. I got those kind of questions all year uh, until and, – and one of my fa- – you know, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Tim Bontemps. And, you know, Tim was one of those. We had him on five on the floor. He's been on some of the calls too. Yeah, well, remember, he was very um, in favor of uh, – of the Sixers. He thought the Sixers matchup was a horrible matchup for the heat. I think his opinions flipped. I think a lot of 
the the national media. You mentioned Zach Lowe, but others uh, who cover them. And, and I think what's what's kind of crazy is for all the bleep that Windhorse takes. Oh, he he's actually, been on their side for years now. Oh yeah, he has more respect for the Heat front office than pretty much any of those other national guys. You're can, right. I, can I say about that? Because yeah. it's funny that you say that. Because I always think the same thing. I, every time I listen to like a Windhorse thing. When, whenever trade deadline season comes around, I'm, I'm, I'm back in on Windhorse. I'm listening to him all the time because he, ha- he always has good information from different sources. And he is constantly bringing up the heat as like a trade destination for, you know, different varying names that come up all the time. And I think like, it's because he has the ultimate respect for those guys. And I think it just <laughs> that decision in 2010 just surprised him so much that he's just you like, I'm it. never going to doubt these guys. You hit the nail on the head. He, yeah. there, there were moments where he said, um, you know, it's, it's the $40 million. And Pat Riley can come in with his suits and da-da-da-da-da. And, 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 you know, he, LeBron's not going to leave that money on the table. And he was so strident about it. And then it went in the other direction. Well, he didn't want to move. He, 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 but that's part of uh, – some of this was personal because, I mean – Look, Brian got in some trouble with LeBron's people, and it never really repaired, to be honest. Um, no, at the, to- at the time, because when LeBron left, Brian was hard on them, okay? Hard on all of them. Hard on LeBron, hard on Maverick, hard on the whole group. Um, when, and then he left. ESPN basically tagged him to go to Miami for Heat Index. So he left three weeks later, and that whole group was like, well, what the F? Like, you were just killing us and now you're moving to Miami and he didn't, you know, he lived at the Epic hotel when he was down here. He didn't like it. He's not a Miami guy. Um, he just, he didn't like being here. Well, Again, what didn't you like about Miami? Do you know that? Actually, never mind. That's, I don't know if you want to do that. No, no, I, no, I don't. I'm just saying he, he didn't, he didn't really like the city, but he, but I will say this. He greatly, greatly, greatly respected the organization that, mm-hmm. that those were two different things. He has enormous respect for Ellisburg for, for Riley, for what Riley's accomplished, for he Spolstra. constantly brings up Ellisburg too, like by name. Yeah, no, he, it's he thinks Andy's Andy. the best of the business. He thinks that he he thinks Eric is a top three coach. I mean, I had, I I you know I, I spent a lot of time with with Brian and among others on the road. He has very high regard for them, and that comes across. His issue with the Heat and why he trashed them the past couple of years was the same reason I did, which was he kept hearing from agents around the league. My guy wants to play in Miami. They spent their effing money on James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Tyler Johnson, and Hassan Whiteside, and my guy can't get in the door there now. Like, that was – his issue is the same as mine. It was like, why would you ever take this destination, this organization, off the table for elite players? And the Heat obviously have learned their lesson off that, you know, off those two summers. Um, but that's where he was. So, all right, so let's circle back on all this. Um, I, I think if they make the Eastern Conference Finals, I, I think it would rank first in Heat history in terms of surprises. Do, do you disagree? I'm going, it, I'm going to. I think 0304 has to be the number one just because they pushed Indiana. Dwayne Wade you know, came on the scene as a rookie. There's all of those things. And because they started out 0-7 and, and it looked really... Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Ugly. Um, Even though that team was only 42 and 40. Uh, I would say that that's probably the most surprising, but but still top two. So I'm giving you that, Alex. Uh, honestly, I would say the same is probably going to be up there in a the top five. I know you guys can obviously and have spoken more to the you know the historical context there, but for sure it would be crazy surprising. I wasn't actually. It's good that you say that. I was going to ask you guys where would you if you had to put a percentage, and you had. To, I know that there's all types of situations and there's all types of factors that we have that we really can't really measure at this point because it's just an unprecedented situation but if you guys had to put a percentage on maybe they're on them getting to the conference finals or them winning a championship or both of those where would you put it how much would you differ from that what do you think i'll let you start me no i was gonna let greg start okay i wasn't sure if you were talking to me (laughs) i mean you know where i'm going with this i'd say probably 28 percent chance that the heat can uh win the championship oh okay 
and um, let's go uh, 21% chance they get to the conference finals. And I'm just throwing these numbers at the wall and seeing what sticks. I, the championship thing is, I mean, to get all the way there, you know, with a team that I don't think is complete yet um, is asking – it's just asking too much over, over two months. I mean, I think, like I said, with all the things that work in their favor, you know, ultimately, you know, the team, the teams that have the best players uh, that can sustain it, that can overcome issues because somebody is just so great that they'll overcome all these circumstances. You know, I still lean to the LeBrons and the Kawhis of the world in that. Uh, what about with, the conference, uh, conference finals? But, but I do think, and, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, I do think, though, it's going to be easier to catch one of these teams earlier. Mm. And that's why I think there's more of a chance of the Heat pulling a major upset in the East where maybe they happen to get their bodies back in condition faster than another team. Another team that has a lot of old players on it. Okay. Uh, Al Horford. No, I'm not talking about Al Horford. I'm talking about I'm I'm talking about Kyle Korver. I'm talking about George Hill. I'm talking about the Lopez's. I I think that the Heat's best chance for a major upset is Milwaukee, and it's not just matchups, but it's also when they're going to catch them. Ethan, I think you got to, I think you got to set your flag right here, right now. I'm I'm putting a little bit of pressure on you. Well, no, I'm I'm trying. You're cutting me off. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to put my freaking flag. I'm hyping you up. I'm hyping you up. I I I think that uh, I I think it absolutely. Let's just put it this way. I think it absolutely could happen. I think there's a confluence of of factors um, that go into this. I know the strides that Middleton has made this year, but I I, and I know Milwaukee was mauling teams, but I also know that teams are not going to come back the same. Momentum is going to be lost. It's a whole new thing. And I, and I also feel this way. Eric Spolscher is a better coach than Mike Budenholzer, in my opinion. I, I do think, and this was an interesting debate, which we can have another time. Somebody put this on Twitter. The top four coaches, the coaches of the top four teams of the East, how would you rank them? And I found it interesting because it wasn't a bunch of Heat fans ranking. It was people, you know, fans from around the country. And most had Nick Nurse or Spo first. Uh, and then Stevens and Budenholzer. And, and those guys are, are all considered elite, too. All four are elite. There's no question. But mm-hmm. I think Spo's better than, than, than Mike is. Um, that's, that's my that's opinion. And, and I think he's proven that in, in, in circumstances. You know, I think we can say that Spo is more open to making adjustments. Yes. Than, yeah. Budenholzer than, does not adjust as well. No, I, absolutely. Well, right. And I know he, some Heat fans who are not Spo fans would argue that, but I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. I think he makes better adjustments than Budenholzer makes. I, I, I think that if you look at those Atlanta teams, maybe he maxed them out in the regular season, but uh, I, I, was, I was there for all four games of, you know, in Cleveland and Atlanta for that four-game sweep. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Was out without Kyrie, and they just – there were no adjustments made whatsoever at all during that series. So anyway, all right, we're going to get to some more stuff here on the second half of the episode. Before we do that, I'm going to tell you about one of our new sponsors, safecubbies.com. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19, safecubbies.com, which is locally owned is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com. All right, back on five on the floor. You know, the Heat have been hosting these daily Zoom calls with the media. Today's were with not only Eric Spolster, who's on every day, but also with Chris Silva and with Tyler Hero, who. Has come back in really good shape. He talked about some of that today, but he also talked about 
how he's going to get back in a shooter's rhythm during these sort of strange circumstances? Um, I think for shooters, um, once we, you know, the first day of shooting on a, uh, in a ballroom or a practice gym like we're in now, it's, it's different for the first day, but, you know, as shooters, we get used to it and adapt pretty quick. Uh, so I don't think it should be much of a problem for me or any of the other shooters on our team. Uh, we're real locked in, getting a lot of shots up, and we're catching our rhythm again. All right, that's Tyler Hero. He also talked about how he's at about 5% body fat right now, 5.5% um, body fat. He looks uh, leaner to me. Um, it looks like he, he took, you know, again, he seemed to enjoy himself during quarantine. Uh, he also got involved uh, politically during quarantine, but it also does look like he paid attention to basketball or at least his, his weight training during quarantine. I wasn't particularly concerned about this because he does seem like a basketball junkie. Yep. Um, but, but we have joked about him sort of being East Coast Kuzma a little bit. And so I think it's good to see him with a serious tone uh, about what he's doing here. But I wanted to get into one topic related to Tyler, but it also applies to Duncan Robinson. And it's something that Eric was asked about a couple of days ago, which is, A, he's got a lot of young young players, um, and he said, you know, and, and who have been counted on in pressure situations. Tyler, before he got hurt, played more minutes in the fourth quarter than any other player on the team. That's uh, Dun- Right, Duncan Robin. Right, and Duncan Robinson was on the floor, during a lot of uh, those situations also, though defensively at times you know, he was taken advantage of by some teams like Boston, et cetera. Um, but he said, Eric said, one of the good things about these guys is they don't know what they don't know, that they just got, they have no fear. The other thing that Eric was asked about was, you know, the home road issue during the playoffs and typically role players, shooters as well, tend to play better at home. There is no home. So how, Alex, do you think that, these those sort of factors being mitigated now right like no home court um you know and also you know the whole rookie wall thing's kind of out the window and i consider duncan robinson a rookie too the rookie wall thing's kind of out the window because everybody just had three months off does this help these guys not, not have to deal with those two factors anymore yeah i mean it's like like we talked about before they basically got a whole off season of time off so them saying things like, you know, they kind of matured a little bit on the game doesn't surprise me. I think they're already excited to come back. They obviously never been in a playoff situation before, but nobody's ever been in this type of playoff situation before either. So I wonder if all of this kind of balances out. I am still a little bit confused about whether or not the home and away thing helps them or not, just because how much better they were at home. Also, like we talked about a million times, but really, I'm excited to see how it pans out. I think I kind of am with you that all this does favor the Heat because they seem so excited and, you know, morale seems high. They all seem excited and, and motivated to play. Uh, and there really is reason for hope just because of, you know, we haven't really seen the team healthy uh, with all the options with, you know, Hero and Leonard coming back and Iguodala and, and uh, Jay Crowder. Ever since that trade was made, we haven't seen the team really fully healthy. So I think there is a lot of reason for optimism. You know, a couple episodes back and maybe even further back than that. We're doing the, we're doing so many of these. I shouldn't say a couple. It was a couple of weeks ago. We talked about who are we most excited to see uh, as the season resumed. And we went around the room and, and I said, bam, out of bio at that time. And the more that I actually think about that, Tyler hero is kind of approaching the same level for me um, for a couple of reasons. One, when you hear he's in great shape. I mean, part of the reason the heat, Kind of bought into Tyler Hero and and thought that that was a, a guy that they wanted to really um to target in the draft was that he was a gym rat and that was like a huge part of this is that he just loved to play basketball so um, people who are addicted to the game yeah exactly he's Jimmy he's one Bam of, he's one of those guys for sure so um and and the the element of that there's going to be no crowd I I think like the one thing for young players it's that intangible thing that nobody can really um you can't measure it like what it does to you to get rattled in a playoff game when there's a crowd there and people are going crazy and stuff like that. So the fact that that's completely wiped out, I don't see how it could hurt a young player like that hasn't had that experience before. Um, and particularly a guy like Tyler hero, he played at Kentucky. So he's been in front of, uh, you know, crowds as well. So I think he's even been conditioned to some of that um, already. So 
Uh, I think it's all super positive. And um, this is like a new season for him. I don't feel like it's an extension of his rookie year. It's a, it's a brand new kind of fresh start at this, almost with a training camp like vibe as he goes into it. So um, he, he may be one of those guys that kind of all of a sudden settles in and the game slows down even more. And he takes a jump like right now in the middle of this bubble season. You know, and the other thing about it, and speaking to this, and I think Alex had been in the locker room with me quite a bit this year, witnesses, you know, the guys on the so long, I'm still unconvinced that actually ever happened. Maybe didn't. Um, (laughs) But the the guys on the team treat Tyler Hero like a, you know, sort of like the the little kid brother who they know is cool, (laughs) you know, like, and they know he's going to be a big shot. So they kind of want to put him down now while there's still time. Like I, I feel, yeah. I, you know, really they don't really do it to Duncan. They don't do it to Duncan. No, they don't do it to Duncan. He kind of has a similar vibe. Like they're both kind of quiet and both put in the work. Nah, but with yeah, Tyler, but Tyler they, got the swagger thing going though. It's a swagger, different deal. Yeah. It's like, it's a Reggie stuff. Miller kind of situation. Like kind of like the, I'm going to yeah. rip your throat out kind of sit, you know, like that kind of vibe. It's the swagger. It's the Kentucky. It's the first round pick. It, he, he has more reasons to. And Duncan Robinson's not a rookie anymore. Tyler no, is literally he's not, a rookie. But, but, but Duncan looks different. Than, uh, Ty, Tyler has, like, we talk about it. He has drip, right? Like, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's and he kind of, like, is, like, boyish. Like, he still kind of looks very young. But, but, but I watched it with Myers Leonard and the way he, he treated him, the way Jimmy treats him. I mean, they, they, they look at him like they like him. They, they like him, but they also know he's going to be a big shot. And it's kind of like, all right, let's get our shots in now on him. And, and so I do think that the bubble environment for him, like being with them all this time, I, I also think it's going to bring him out a little bit more. I, I think it it, it it sort of, again, levels the field because the thing about it, again, to talk about NBA life, a lot of NBA players, you know, NBA players are kind of split into two camps. Some The ones who have families and the ones who don't, <laughs> okay? And the ones who have families, you know, I was always told, you know, one of the saddest things I ever heard in the NBA locker room was PJ Brown, who was one of my favorite people I ever covered. But PJ was always lamenting the fact that he said that NBA teams are 15 different corporations. Everybody's got their own thing. You go home to your own family. You don't really interact with the other guys as much as you would like to interact. And it is split into two camps. And so the Heat have some family guys, although not as many as other teams, by the way. So a lot fewer wives on this team, okay, than there aren't a lot of others because they're a younger team. And they've got a lot of younger guys. Well, now you're putting those groups together with no families for all this time. I think it helps the young guys because they're going to be around veteran guys more than they would be during the regular season. The, the vets are stuck with them. They're trapped. They, yeah, They're trapped. They can't go <laughs> over to families. Like, you know, you've got – and you've got veteran guys. Like a guy like Goron, okay, who has, you know, a nuclear family, two kids – um, he has two still, right? It was a three. I, I always forget, but he's got, you know, he, you know, Goran is a very tradition. When Goran is, is in Miami, he always would tell me he, he goes to the park, he puts a cap over his head. So nobody recognizes him and he just blends in like that's him. Well, now he's like in this environment with this group, um, all this time. And I think to have, you know, for hero to have guys like Goran, like Andre, like UD, who has his own, you know, pretty sizable family, um, you know, around him all the time I think it's good I think it breaks down those walls it gives more trust in the young players I think that's going to be something else that hasn't really been talked about that's going to help some of these guys good point There's a lot thank of you reasons. let's move to the next topic all right so the next topic <laughs> we're say gonna five get, reasons we're going to get in today um and we actually let's do these quickly um Eric Spolster I'm just going to ask the, this is this our third topic is going to be I just want a name who is the guy? He's talked about depth, 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 depth. He keeps talking about it, right? I think part of it is so his players hear it, so they know that they're, they're motivated to, to, to participate, play hard right now in practices so they get an opportunity to play. Give me the one guy, Greg, who's going to get more minutes now than he would have gotten during a regular uh, run, a regular, the way things were going in the regular season. Uh, I'm going to go Kelly Olenek. That, 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 that would be my, you oh. said just a name, so I'm not even going to go any further with that. Kelly Olenek. Alex, wow. who you got? The first one that came to mind is Andre Iguodala. I think he's going to be really clutch in the playoffs as somebody who could guard a lot of different people. I'm going to go uh, completely off the board here. I think Casey Paul is going to get some minutes. Oh, I like this. I like where you're going. 
I think he's going to get some minutes. I, I think that they saw enough in those flashes in the Sacramento game that as a disruptor. And he finally uh, put on some weight. And he put on some weight. I think there's going to be some minutes. It's not going to be a big role, but I think there's going to be some minutes. All right, topic four. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, as we were talking about this, there was the anniversary of his trade to Miami. Um, looking back in it, the trade for Shaq, the trade for Zoe, the acquisition of LeBron James, what had a greater impact on the Miami Heat franchise? Leif. Okay, so I'm probably going to get killed for this, but just hear me out. I truthfully believe that the Shaquille O'Neal trade was the single biggest transaction um, for this reason. And obviously, like the LeBron thing is a whole different stratosphere. So, so just let me unpack this. When, when the Heat traded for Shaq, it was the first time that the fan base could really look at themselves in the mirror and say, like, we are big time. We are on the national stage. And there, there had never been that feeling before where you had literally an icon wearing a Heat jersey. And that was that moment. Alonzo was the, the prototypical Miami Heat player. He was Pat Riley. They were joined at the hip. Um, and, and he exemplified everything you want from the organization's perspective. But it's a different kind of icon level when you got Shaquille O'Neal. And we obviously, like Dwayne Wade, had that crazy run. And everyone knew he was going to be great. Nobody at that time knew he was going to be the top three shooting guard in, in NBA history. So getting Shaq was like literally, it was earth shattering for the franchise. So um, from my perspective, it, it's the biggest trade they ever made. LeBron for you, Alex? I was going to say I had a hard time kind of going back and forth between the decision and the Shaq trade. And I think I leaned towards what Leif said, just because all of this didn't happen in a vacuum, right? We know what the history is and the LeBron thing doesn't happen without the Shaq thing, right? I mean, maybe it does, maybe exactly. it doesn't. There was obviously relationships there and we know everything that happened in 06 with the contract stuff and then the Olympics. We know that whole story. So it, maybe it could have happened, but at the end of the day, what propelled that was Shaq coming to the heat in Wade's second year, D-Wade taking that extra step and then winning the title in his third year. And that's, I think, what kind of put the heat really on the map uh, for LeBron to to come join. And also, you know, the three max spots. <laughs> right, the three max spots, right. Thanks, um, Andy. I, th- I team, think... Team, team effort here. Team effort. I th- I think people are going to think we're nuts. Um, I'm also not going to pick LeBron, but I'm going with Zoe. And, and, oh. the re- and the reason I think it was Zoe is because it was confirmation that things were different. Um. You know, getting Riley was one thing, but they, Leif would say, but they, but they weren't going to build a team. They weren't going to build a team around Glenn Rice, and and I, I wish they could have kept Glenn, but you got to give up something to get something. And 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 it, I think you have to remember the context of who Zoe was at the time. He was the number two overall pick. Um, he was, you know, at the time, you know, Georgetown was a huge, huge collegiate property, yeah. and everybody knew who Zoe was before he went to Georgetown. He had the moment, you know, with the big shot falling down, you know, for Charlotte. Um, his contract dispute got a lot of attention. He came with an attitude, uh, which this organization never had. I mean, the only guy who, who close to had it, we had on the, on the podcast, was Keith Askins, but Keith wasn't a name. They never had that kind of player before. You know, they were like a bunch of nice guys that everybody knew from college. Right, like Glenn Rice and Steve Smith and... Sherb Ronnie Douglas, Cycli, the DJ, Ronnie yeah. Cycli. I mean, they, <laughs> right. I mean, they, they didn't have anybody with edge. This was their first player they ever had uh, with Ron Rothstein. And, well, Ronnie's hair had edge. Yes. But uh, at, at the time, um, but yeah, I just, I, to me, and I know everybody's going to say it's LeBron, you idiots. Uh, but, but I, I think you can make a really good case uh, for Zoe. I, I just, I, it changed the whole dynamic of it. And, you know, they were, they were suddenly relevant. And the other thing is, you know, I was covering the Dolphins at the time too. And I think you have to put it in the, that context, which is the Dolphins still mattered at that point. You know, Shula had just left and Jimmy had come in. It was during that period of time. Like the Dolphins were the king team in town. And Zoe didn't take it from them. The Dolphins were still the king team in town. But he at least made you look at the heat, which was yep. the first time that really that, that happened. Um, you know, I, here's, a, here's a uh, – shameless admission i actually cried when glenn rice got traded i was so upset 
he was like my favorite player. And, but you know, that first season with Zoe, I immediately knew that it was the right move. And, and the other thing about the Zoe trade and Ethan, this is to your point back then, that's when you built teams around centers, unless yeah. you have Michael Jordan. So like getting Zoe, like you felt like you had like a, like it's like in the, in the NFL when like, okay, we got our franchise quarterback. Now we can go try to win something. Like we had our franchise big man. So, so I get you there. And I just feel like the Shaq trade was just an elevated version of that. No, it, it was. I, I think I also was colored a little bit because we've talked so much about how much we like the 0304 team. And when they traded for Shaq, and somebody reminded me of this on Twitter, they, rem- they remembered write- me writing a column in 2004. I don't even remember me writing a column in 2018. Um, but me writing a column in 2004 about how getting Shaq, the day they got Shaq, I wrote a column and said, this, this probably makes them contenders, but it makes them feel less fun. That's that was my feeling at the time because I loved the organic feel of the 0304 team. It was a total myopic view. Obviously, getting Shaq was going to make things more fun because you're going to win more. But I just felt like it felt mercenary to me. Um, whereas the Zoe trade didn't feel mercenary, even though he yeah. was drafted by Charlotte, because the Heat were building something from scratch at that point. Yeah, you know, it, Riley was it didn't feel like scratch. a shortcut. It didn't feel like a shortcut. Right. That this, the Shaq thing felt like a shortcut. And, you know, my, all I remember, I remember I was at someone's house that day for like a, a house party. And I just kept, I kept, I was trying to get the news and, you know, obviously other people were trying to break stuff and I'd heard some things too. And, you know, we kind of knew that this was on the horizon, that there was a possibility. And I just kept asking, is Dwayne in it? Is Dwayne in it? Like that, that was, that was really the only thing because if Dwayne was in it, I didn't even like it. You know, I was like, well, you're going to give up on that after one year. I mean, you just saw what he did in the playoffs. Um, but obviously, you know, that, that worked out. All right, let's get to Dwayne here. Uh, topic five. I feel like we need to address it or somebody needs to address it. Am I the one that's going to have to address this guys? Is that what we've decided? Am I, am I, I think that that would be the prudent approach. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure that you say that. Um, the tweet's not up anymore. Uh, Dwayne got himself in a little bit of hot water today. Um, here we go. Uh, and now he's become a political football, so to speak. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, Nick Cannon, uh, obviously, uh, you know, well known for a bunch of uh, projects, um, Hollywood and elsewhere. Um, basically, you know, tweet in, not 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 basically, uh, you know, said some very anti-Semitic things on a podcast. Um, also has a relationship, though, with with Dwayne's wife, Gabrielle Union, and was very supportive of Gabrielle and some of her battles that she's gone through, uh, you know, with, with the TV show that she used to be on. Um, Dwayne tweeted out here at about one fifty six. he tweeted at Nick Cannon, we're with you. Um, and then kind of a closed fist, Keith, keep leading exclamation point. Uh, this obviously didn't go over particularly well. Uh, I guess I've been tagged on Twitter. I'm it now. I, I'm the one who has to speak out because I happen to be Jewish. Uh, and obviously I've covered Dwayne Wade for a long time. Uh, so I'm just going to say this, and I don't even know if you guys want to jump in on this or not. Um, you know, it's it's bad judgment by Dwayne at the very least. Uh, you know, and you know, Dwayne is very active on Twitter, tweets out a lot of things about a lot of different topics. Um, some that he's very educated on, and some he's as all of us on Twitter are. We sometimes we tweet out things we're not as educated on about. Um, he then went back. And about 45 minutes, it was about 45 minutes later, guys, that he went back and kind of. Yeah, uh, it, it felt like an eternity, but yeah, it sounds it about right. It did feel so long. It, it did. And, and somebody joked, maybe it was Riz, that of all days, because, you know, to, they, they got this hacking problem on Twitter. So the verified accounts of which my personal account is one, but my business account, five reasons account is not, got, got can't tweet even as we speak. Oh, that would have been just absolutely excruciating. Could you imagine? Because Dwayne has a verified account, obviously. So could you imagine if he put it out there and couldn't go back on it? But anyway, he was before he he was. Wow, Wade at the buzzer yet again. Yet again. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, on the third try, on the third try, let's try to take this seriously. I'm trying at least. On the third try, okay, because the second try, he basically sort of indicated he, he was not take that he didn't understand the entire situation essentially that was his second tweet and then after that he went back in one more time of course number three uh for Dwayne he went back in the third time and base and condemned anti-semitism um my thought is I think people want me to be offended 
I will only say this, okay? I, I can't speak to everybody's intentions and how they feel about, you know, whether it's race issues, anti-Semitism issues, that's in everybody's heart, okay? All I can say is that my interactions with Dwayne over the course of almost 20 years, um, and he knows I'm Jewish, okay, uh, you know, we're, we're nothing but positive, professional, and I never witnessed or heard anything in, in 20 years that was, you know, bigoted or racist in any way to any group. Um, I, Dwayne, Dwayne is somebody who I always found to be welcoming of all groups. Does that mean he used good judgment in this case? No. Um, but I, I, and I, can I say I know what's in his heart? No. Uh, do I believe that he was supporting Nick Cannon in other ways, more about empowerment and less about what Nick Cannon said on a podcast? Yes. Um, and that's my view on it. Do you guys have anything else to add? So just to, I don't really have any opinion on this because I know I'm not qualified and I really am not that educated on the matter, but just to make clear what happened, apparently, you know, Nick Cannon made those comments on a podcast. Everybody knows Wild and Out, a lot of people my age kind of grew up with the show and there was some conflict apparently and Wade was kind of uh, alluding to this in, in his apology tweet that it had a lot to do with more about Nick Cannon Nick Cannon losing the rights to Wilder now, his show, uh, and basically having to just defer to Viacom CBS, who took it away from him. And, you know, they kind of believe that he should own own those rights since he's, you know, always been the host since the early 2000s or mid-2000s when that show first started. So, I, you know, a lot of people were giving Wade benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt because of that. But, yeah, obviously the situation is not ideal, and we're all glad. He apologized because that's just a nightmare situation for anybody in Miami. Well, he also, um, if you look at the, the third tweet, I don't know about the second tweet, but if you look at the third tweet, he clearly wrote it. Um, it's, it's in his voice. And, and I, I think, you know, we can say, you know, I know I saw people on Twitter, you know, PR spin and all the rest of this stuff. I, again, I, I've, I've had enough interactions with Dwayne in enough different ways uh, to not believe that, that bigotry and racism is something uh, that is part of his makeup. I, I just, I just don't buy it. And, and I, I do think that Dwayne has become, um, and this was actually, this term was actually used uh, for LeBron. I remember when he was in Miami where a lot of people told me, and I think it proved to be true. Um, and the word, the word that was used for me was that, you know, LeBron would got more Afrocentric uh, during his time in Miami, that he became uh, more aware of a lot of these social justice issues. And I believe the same has happened with Dwayne over the years. And some of it started with Trayvon Martin and the hoodie photos and everything else. And so I do think uh, Dwayne is very big on black empowerment uh, as LeBron is. And that has been, if you look at his tweet history at his comments, uh, that that's a big part of it. But also, as you also know, with now raising a daughter and everything that uh, was said about him during that process, that Dwayne is you know very inclusive person. And so I just... I, 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 and always has been prior to that. I can tell you one thing, um, and I'll close here, if that's okay. Uh, there's a, uh, a, a colleague in uh, sports media um, who came out of the closet. Uh, you know, what was it? It's got, it's almost probably eight or nine years ago now. Um, and, and people are listening can probably figure this out. I can just tell you that that person that who happened to be a very good friend of mine or is a good, good friend of mine um, was, was nervous about the way that it was be perceived because you're in locker rooms with, you know, with NBA players and it can be, you know, sort of a chilly place, uh, you know, for someone who's not heterosexual. I mean, that's just the way it's been, you know, for that's the tradition of sports, right? Unfortunately. And uh, I, I can tell you that during that process, uh, Dwayne Wade was incredibly warm, welcoming, and supportive um, in, to, to this particular media person um, and, and to a point that it stood out. So it's not just about, you know, what's happened to Dwayne personally since. It's, it's, it's part of his makeup. And so I want to close with that. I'm not condoning it, um, but I also don't think I can speak for all Jewish people just because I happen to be Jewish. And I'm, to be honest, a little resentful that on Twitter, there's some who are co-opting this to kind of throw it in my face and say, aren't you going to say something about this? It, it's it, oh, that's part of the game now. It's just waiting for people to 
to come in with takes and expecting people to weigh in on everything just because they might they might have an opinion. I think it's and people getting outraged at people for not weighing in. It's part of the whole Twitter game now. Well, it's a, it's a Twitter game, but it's also a society game now where it's yeah. if, you don't, if, if, you don't, if you don't weigh in, you're somehow hypocritical. It doesn't mean you're hypocritical. It might mean, you know, just because I'm Jewish also does not mean necessarily that, you know, I can believe in, in, in you know, the Israeli state, not believe in everything, you know, that is, Israel does politically. I mean, you're allowed, that is allowed, right? Like, I mean, and, and that's why I'm saying, like, I, I don't know, it, this doesn't have to be, you know, homogenous. And I feel like, you know, and if Alf was on this episode, he would probably talk about this too. You know, I feel like Alf has given voice to this because he, he doesn't feel that every, you know, black person, African-American person should have to feel the same way about social justice issues or, or, you know, and have to speak for an entire race or anybody should have to speak for an entire ethnicity. Everybody can have their own viewpoints and opinions. And I don't love the fact that it got co-opted today, um, but I'm just going to speak from my personal experience with Dwayne and I can just tell you, uh, I don't believe he's bigoted. I don't believe he's racist. Um, and that's what I wanted to say. Okay. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.